Good evening and welcome to episode 194 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining me on a special night tonight as we're going to be talking in detail about everything you want to know about morning lines. It's going to be a fascinating conversation with one of the best in the business, Nick Tamro. Before I bring on Nick, make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. Our subscriptions are way up. We greatly appreciate it. Also, smash that like button after you do that, which will tell YouTube that this is a great podcast to watch. Also, hit that notification bell. That'll tell you when new content will come up on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. And we have a lot of content uh, up on there. I just I did a podcast with uh, Jim Miller of Hawthorne. There's a carryover uh, this Friday at Hawthorne. Check that out, episode one. Uh, 93. And then tomorrow night, we have to change the time. Uh, late breaking news due to some work and family obligations. Tomorrow night's podcast, and I'll be tweeting this out also. Uh, this will be Thursday night. Is going to start at 9.30 Eastern. It'll be a little bit of a shorter podcast due to the later time slot. But it'll be with Jessica Paquette, who is a fantastic handicapper, jack of all trades. She's awesome. She'll be with us. Again, we are just uh, adjusting the start time tomorrow night, Thursday night here on the podcast. It'll be a 9.30 Eastern time start. Of course, uh, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. You can also follow me, as you see on my name tag, at H. Kravitz on Twitter. And also on the scroll below, you can reach me through email, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. The power picks have been red hot. The power picks, everyone which is the tip sheet we give out every Saturday. And it's only four bucks a Saturday, which means if you subscribe now, there's information below the video player. And also you can see on the screen through Patreon. If you subscribe now, you're getting the full two blowout editions of the Breeders' Cup picks and all everything you need to know about the Breeders' Cup for four bucks. That's it. Because we charge four bucks a Saturday. I am not raising the price for the Breeders' Cup editions. I've seen people put out there, you know, bye-bye picks for $30, $50, $100. No, no, no. Four bucks. That's all it will take. If you subscribe to the Power Picks, you'll get every Saturday those Power Picks, and it will include two editions for the Breeders' Cup. It is the best deal in town. The ROI is up to $2.49 after we crushed it last week at San Nita and Keeneland. So please check out those Power Picks. You can find out more information also on our website, hhhracingpodcast.com. All right, I think that takes care of all the particulars. Um, uh, Paul Halloran, one of our co-hosts, was going to come on this evening, but he's actually at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. No, he's not being elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame, but he's a basketball referee at the college level, and they have a meeting there. So, um, again, work calls sometimes. He will uh, not be with us. I'll be pulling a solo job tonight. Uh, with our guest. Let's bring our guest on right now. I mean, what has this guy not done in the horse racing industry? Normally, I'd say he is currently, uh, you know, the race caller at Sam Houston, which of course he is. But at this very moment, amongst many other things within the money media, he is the morning line maker for Keeneland. And I believe, I have to double check, I believe he's also going to be doing the morning lines for the Breeders' Cup. So please, when we bring on Nick, any questions you have in the live chat, top right-hand side of the screen, questions for Nick Tamro, this is a great night to do it. Let's bring him on. He's in Dallas. He's a busy guy, but he's coming on tonight just for us. The one and only, Nick Tamro. Nick, how's Dallas? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Howard, and I just want you to know the next time you think I don't love you, remember that tonight's game one of the Astros-Yankees series. So if wow. you see me peek to the left every once in a while, don't uh, don't wonder too much, but I promise I'll stay away. I guess that'll lead to the next question. How much money do you have? Is it close to Mattress Mac? I think he's got $10 million. I know you got some new gigs going on. You got some money in the coffers. I'm sure the wife and family wouldn't mind if you put a, a few bucks on the Astros. I'm guessing it's not $10 million. Not quite. Boy, Mac is set up for $75 million if the Astros win the World Series. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a gambling man. Well, we, I, honestly, I, I know you're a diehard uh, Astro fan. I'm a big sports fan. We do really appreciate it. If you peek a little bit and you don't quite, you know, listen to the question, it's all good. I'm a teacher. I teach high school teenagers, Nick, for 26 years. You think they always pay attention to me? Are you kidding? They're on their phone. They're, you know, talking about boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, what they're doing over the weekend. They could care less sometimes about 
you know, exponents and, you know, uh, the Pythagorean theorem and whatnot. So I, I'm used to it, Nick, is what I'm trying to tell you. There, there's nothing quite like talking to somebody when you know they're not paying attention at all. Oh. My mother did this to me the other day. We were on the phone and, and uh, of course, my mother is very dear to me. And I said, Mom, are you in the middle of something? And she said, how do you know? I said, because I know you're not paying attention. So it is, it's always funny when you not only have it happen, but can, uh, can call them out a little bit too. Yeah, well, tomorrow I get my slight revenge for any students that have been acting up, Nick. Tomorrow, tomorrow and Friday, parent-teacher conferences. That's right. Uh -oh. So now, that, you know, they think their children. Listen, I've got a lot of great students, and overall, I, you know, obviously enjoy my job. But I got a few knuckleheads, and if those parents are coming, uh, listen, you got to keep it straight. You got to tell it like it is. You can't, uh, you can't BS with them. You, you got to. It's their education, you know. So it is what, what it is. What do you teach? Uh, I teach high school level this year. Um, I am teaching honor uh, college algebra honors, which is basically pre-calculus honors for most schools and also a senior level class with sort of average to lower level students to try to prepare them for college entrance exams. So okay. we call it applied math. So sort of a, a lower level math class for seniors and then um, pre-calc honors. So uh, nice. I get the wide variety. Not, not a, not a big fan of teaching the freshman all the time. I like to teach the upper level, uh, classes anyway nick uh let's let's jump right in i've got a, i've got a list of questions we're gonna go on ladies and gentlemen for about half an hour 40 minutes maybe 45 when nick, nick whenever you gotta go you know we'll, we'll get you out of here and the astros will be up eight to nothing by the time we're done well, so you're mouth to god's ears you you won't miss out i've got mm -hmm. about i sent you a few things we're going to talk about um and and uh, i've got about six quick topics but before we do that i got a surprise for you and i'm like you know what this is a quite the fraternity and possibly sorority. I don't know if there's some women that do morning lines out there, you know, for tracks. But I figured, you know, what? we got to bring on uh, another morning line maker and chop it up with you. So Nick's like, who's this going to be? Let's bring on right now the morning line maker at Hawthorne Racecourse, Mr. Jim Miller. Jim, how are you doing tonight? Gentlemen, I'm doing good. Uh, Nick, to your credit, uh, just in my lower corner here is the game as well. So I'm following <laughs> them also, too. I appreciate it. And, you know, you and I have not actually met, but I'm glad to do so virtually. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things. And Howard and I were talking about a little bit earlier in the day, Nick, how everybody kind of becomes Twitter friendly throughout the course of the industry, just knowing one another and knowing what they do as a line maker, knowing what they do just throughout the industry with race callers, with analysts and everything like that. You wear a lot of different hats. I wear a lot of different hats as well. And Howard had asked me if I had any questions for you as a line maker, because I'm always trying to learn. And the lines that I have the hardest time making, Nick, are two-year-old horses that are debuting. And it's, a lot of it's because I'm not super strong at, on pedigree. And I was one, I clocked horses for many years. So I, I was one that put a lot of focus into workouts and that. But for you, when you're making a line, for example, just take a Keeneland race, for example, in the spring where you're, you're seeing two-year-olds for the first time. I mean, how often is it, okay, well, it's Wesley Ward, so that's automatic. It's a certain price. And how often is it that you have to either dig into pedigree or are you saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go connections, I'm going to go workouts? What, what do you do to put together a line, especially in a two-year-old race, with a lot of unraced horses or lightly raced horses? Yeah, it's a great question, and, and I think one that's filled with guesswork. So I treat the two-year-old races, and, and I've fortunately at this point have not had – uh, to make them for the the two year old the debuting two year olds in the spring, so we'll see if I do a decent enough job if Keeneland brings me back in 2023, and I'll have to do that. But for the fall, what I've tried to do is approach it like I do my handicapping. So when I go through the card the first time, I write down um, on the the left side of my past performances, I write down the percentages of the sire first time out with two year olds, and then on the right side of the form, I draw a line, and on top of it. I put the dams record and on the bottom, I put the siblings record. So it looks a little bit like this. This is for Saturday at Keeneland. And, um, you know, some of it, some of it will look like hieroglyphics, of course, as RPPs often do, but that'll at least help me get a little bit more info on, you know, somewhat who they are. So for example, there's a horse running on Friday at, uh, at Keeneland, who's out of catch the moon, who happens to have produced four very, very talented horses, including midnight bourbon. And so seeing those names, in the uh, pedigree page, I was like, okay, well, this horse obviously went for, for 1.6 million for a reason. So that was one that I wanted to move down pretty, uh, pretty significantly price wise. So I'll do that as far as pedigree goes. And then, you know, the more clues you can get this time of year from them running prior, you really have to take those. So for example, 
uh, Cyclone Mischief, who won today at uh, Churchill, was actually outfinished by another horse who was running today. But um, I made Cyclone Mischief a shorter price, not only because it looked like he had a pace advantage today, but he went off three to one in his debut. So to me, if a horse went off three to one in their debut at, at uh, Churchill Downs with 11 or 12 horses in there, word must have been out that they were training well. And uh, Dale Romans is one who's been known to let it let it be known when he's got a horse with a little bit of talent. So. I mean, long answer to your question is I try to aggregate as much info as possible. I've noticed that the public bets bullet workouts heavily. So, you know, you've clocked. I've watched a lot of workouts. I know that a bullet is not always a bullet in the sense that it's somewhat impressive. And you might know that a horse had a had a bullet workout yet was under a drive the entire way. So I think that's one where I've tried to give it a little bit more credence than I thought I would off the bat. You know, I know David Aragona watches a lot of workouts for Saratoga and uses a lot of that info, which, I mean, he's obviously very, very good at it and uh, and incorporates some of that into his line. So, you know, I guess it's a matter of finding out which part of the guesswork you can do and still feel somewhat confident you've got enough info. Okay. And then my other question, I know Howard has a ton of questions, but I had one other that I wanted to ask you because – in 25 years of doing the job, I get asked uh, quite a bit of times, don't be discouraged by looking to the side there because I'm equally discouraged with you unless you're a Yankees fan, then you're just fine. But looking at being a morning line odds maker and being a public handicapper, I get the question asked all the time, well, how can you lay this horse as a favorite, but pick this horse? And I try to explain to everybody, well, when I'm laying the morning line, that's how I feel that the wagering public is going to wager on the race. But when I handicap the race, I handicap it based on how I feel the outcome of the race is. But the one thing that I found that I've had to do over the course of time is, okay, I'll make the line and I'll put that aside. And then I'll print out a whole nother set of past performances that don't have the line on it because I don't want to be influenced by my line to do my handicapping. Is that something that you do or is that something that you see other people doing? And do you find that helpful in your handicapping? Yeah, I think totally. I think treating it as two exercises is essential. You can't, you know, if you're handicapping, um, as part of the morning line process, as if you're going to bet, your line's going to be skewed, right? right? And, and then you're going to run into the the, doom, the nightmare scenario of making a horse 10 to 1 because you might be interested in betting it. And when it gallops at 4 to 1, everybody thinks you're, you know, you're playing right. some kind of game when uh, it's really not, uh, it really doesn't go that way. But yeah, I think it's it, it has to be treated as two exercises. The good thing is that you know, depending on your time frame, most of the morning lines are due the morning after the draw. Sure. So if you can just do that and get it out of the way and then handicap a little bit closer to uh, to actual race day, you can generally avoid that. But yeah, and I think actually printing out two sets of PPs is, is really, really smart. I, I actually did that for a couple of cards at Keeneland and, uh, and used paper for one and then my iPad for the other one. And it kind of it separated the two activities. It actually made it a lot easier. And there were a couple of times where I noticed that there were horses who I probably didn't treat properly on the morning line. Right, right. Oh, awesome. Howard, thank you, man. Thank you for letting yeah, me jump in. Real, yeah, before you leave, Jim, Nick, I just want to confirm that you are going to be doing the morning line for the Breeders' Cup. Is that correct? Yes. For sure? Okay, awesome. great. So, Jim, last question. Let's help out our friend Nick Tamro, even though he doesn't need it, of course. Flight line, morning line. Jim Miller, what do you got? Right now, you're looking at the way everybody in the industry loves it. The horse, you got to say probably six, five, seven to five, don't you think? Ooh, I thought I think Nick might go lower than that. I mean, well, we're going to talk about that, Jim. And Nick, don't give me your answer. Well, here's, the, well, here's the only reason I say why, and I, it's the best horse in the country. I, I think everybody thinks it's the best horse in the country. The one thing that I always find incredible every single year is the massive love for three-year-olds in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And this has been one three-year-old crop that a lot of horses have stuck around and continue to race really well. And that was the one concern why I think a lot of these three-year-old horses might take a lot of money at least in the uh, classic. Well, Jim, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let you uh, keep you in suspense because I'm gonna take you off and you'll watch it. We'll find out Nick's answer on Flightline awesome. a little bit later. Jim Miller, really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, anything else, Nick? For uh, uh, Nick for Jim? No, no, thanks so much, Jim. I'm a big fan. It's great to meet you. Nice meeting you, All Nick. Right. Good luck, guys. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Bye bye. All right. Uh, I promise, got no other surprises for you. Uh, other than what is it, one nothing Yankees? Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, Harrison what? Bader hit a home run, but uh, all right, all right, it's yeah. it's early, no worries. Um, all right, Nick, let, let's. Uh, there, there's two main things I want to talk about. I think there's a big misunderstanding by a lot of the public, even the smart handicappers and and people that are in the know. The two main things that I wanted to talk about are the mechanics of tonight, are the mechanics of the morning line, and as you know, I'm a math teacher, and I whipped up a real quick spreadsheet that I think is easy for people to understand. I'm sure you have 
some method. And the other one, I have some specific questions on um, certain horses and, and some other things with morning line. So for people that don't uh, know you, because they've been, I guess, under a rock, very briefly, tell everyone where you've done morning lines and your experience with morning lines, first of all. So I started making the morning line at Sam Houston about five years ago. Um, and, and so there um, I made it a couple of times at Louisiana Downs when I was there for calling the races this past year, back in July when, when John McGarry needed a couple of days off and, and now Keeneland. So it's, that's been, been the extent of it. You know, I've always kind of been interested in odds making and, and things like that. And, and I think my interest in it became uh, even more significant when I met Roxy a couple of years ago. Uh, the famed Michael Roxborough of the Las Vegas sports consultants. And so I asked him a lot of questions over time and, you know, the difference between hundred point lines and lines with a little bit of, uh, of juice in them and, you know, bookmaking and all the questions like that. I would definitely not consider myself a bookmaker by any means, but, you know, I, I always enjoyed the exercise of it. I, I thought it was, you know, if you were sharp, then you could set the right line. Right. And, and it was kind of a, a test of that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how I've done it. And this year was actually my first year doing the morning line for the quarter horses also at Sam Houston, which I, you can imagine was uh, was awfully difficult, awfully fun. Very difficult. Um, and I, I heard you talking with I think it was JK and maybe also with Steve Vick recently, you know, about morning lines. And this people have this like crazy fascination slash hatred with, you know, bad morning lines. You know, I, I watch a lot of news and, you know, no matter what, like cable news channel you watch, of course, there's the scroll on the bottom of the screen. And I'm expecting to see that based on what people are saying about morning lines, not necessarily yours, but in general, you know, um, fighting in Ukraine, uh, gas prices up, Nick Tamro's morning lines at Keeneland, not great or whatever. I mean, <laughs> some people think like, what is the big deal? And some people get really worked over by it. What, what is the fascination with, do you think people feel like they're, they're, they're being tricked or deceived or, I mean, what, what is it? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's a great question. I, honestly, what I think is a big part of it is I think it's twofold. I think there's a big segment of people out there who play in online handicapping contests. And when they get a little bit short on preparation, they rely on the morning line to guide what they're going to pick. And, and I think that that is, I mean, I don't blame them for it. I can't say I've ever done it. So I, I can't relate to that part of it. But I think that's number one. I think more so the issue is that the same thing happens in putting in multi-race bets. And so if you've gone, you know, if you're a little short on time or, you know, for example, I will admit that in the past when I've looked at a sequence, maybe at a place where I wasn't as familiar with it, I'll look at the morning line to get a sense of what the, you know, what the line maker thinks are going to happen odds wise. And it's just a backwards process. It's not really it's not what I would do handicapping a track that I play regularly. So I try to stay away from it, you know, as much as possible, but I guess that's part of it. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I I've, I've asked people on Twitter that have had comments about the morning line. You know, I asked two guys on Sunday, what they would have made a horse that they scoffed at me for making too big a price and they didn't reply. So I'm assuming they watch this podcast because everybody in the industry with a brain does. And, uh, and so they'll answer, you know, I, I'd love to know what it, what it would have been. And, and I, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being a jerk. I wasn't being sarcastic. I mean, I think my, you know, my persona on Twitter is, is pretty much like I am normally maybe even a little nicer, but um, I, you know, I was wondering because I could learn, you know, I could certainly get some insight into it. And so, you know, I guess that's it. So I guess it's a little bit of those two things more. So some of the multi-race betting, you know, I've learned to, I've gotten to a point and, and I mean, 90% of my betting, 80% of my betting is Naira and David Aragona's morning line is, is among the most accurate in the country. So I, I, I know that if, you know, if I really like a horse that David made six to one, and I'm not assuming there's going to be a boatload of scratches and I'm going to get, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I think people like that reliability, but I think there's also an understanding that has to come into it that Keeneland's tough, you know, get the, the fields are very, very large and, um, and they're very competitive. So, you know, if I make a horse four to one and you end up getting three, sorry. <laughs> Without putting you on the spot, have you enjoyed it so far? I have. Yeah. I'm sort of a masochist, right? So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you where morning lines make a big difference. Uh, we we have a new sponsor on the show, from Stable Duel and Bree Mott. They do a great job, a fun fantasy game. If you're familiar with Stable Duel, Nick, yeah. um, obviously the morning lines are huge because it's fantasy and you have to, you know, it costs you a certain amount per morning line. So uh, 
certainly for stable duel fans, sure. your morning lines are very important. Uh, Trish Smith, one of our great viewers, is on the show here. Trish, thanks for joining us. She said she's glad to finally get the right time to be on the show. Uh, much respect to the morning line makers. Definitely a difficult, thankless job. No, no doubt about that. All right, Nick, let's do this. I want to get into the mechanics of the morning line. We don't. We can literally spend five minutes on it. And I'm going to bring up a spreadsheet. And before I do that, do you? Do you, I'm assuming all morning line makers, and I and I'm sorry for not knowing the answer. There, there's obviously a spreadsheet or something you guys use to to create your morning line to make sure the math is right. Is it? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So actually I use a Google doc that, uh, that I created actually that was created by Travis stone when he was making the morning line at Saratoga about five or six years ago. And, and I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was helping him. There were days where he would have me kind of look at some races because he knew I was following the circuit pretty closely. So I continue to use that Google doc, which, uh, I mean, I can put on my iPad and hold up for everybody also. Cause I'm not, Um, yeah, you know, I, um, I wish we could share, we're not zoom so we can't share screens, but, um, you don't have to do that. It's okay. I'm going to go ahead and okay. share something that this is just very raw. I literally, sure. as a math teacher, I'm capable of doing something like this in literally five minutes, but I think it's going to get the point of cross here. So let me just bring this up on screen. It's very simplistic, but I think it's going to help a lot of people, uh, out there. Let me take the banner down here also while I'm getting this ready, Nick, and, and you already, uh, explained a little bit with Jim Miller, yeah. just re reiterates everyone out there. Whoops. That's not what I wanted reiterate to everyone out there what the morning line actually is because it's, it's not your personal handicapping opinion on what the odds should be. Yeah, definitely not. It's, it's an approximation of what the public is going to do, uh, how the public is going to better race. And, and uh, what Howard has laid out here is exactly how my spreadsheet looks okay. um, except my totals at the top instead of the bottom. But obviously the, the odds that you're putting in the odds column, are going to be, you're going to do a hundred divided by that plus one. So for example, the three to one is going to be 25 points. Um, The four and a half is going to be 18.18 and so on and so forth. And so you're looking to add these numbers up and ideally you're looking for a number between 120 and at most 130. You'll see some people make comments online. And and, I mean, everybody who I've seen make these comments, I think is pretty astute and, and gets it about 135 point lines or 138 point lines or things like that. The higher you make those numbers, the less accurate your line is going to be because you're building so much into the line. That's going to take you away from wanting to be around 120. What you're supposed to be at is a hundred plus takeout. So, you know, you're, and then with a couple of points extra. So that's why I really try to hold to 125. Um, I think anything beyond that sort of gets a little, can get a little dicey. And, uh, and I think you run the risk of, of being a little bit inaccurate. What you'll notice, and, and you know anybody out there who's a little math inclined will see, is that the difference between making a horse three to one and four to one in terms of points is pretty significant. So you're talking about five points, right? And so when you're adju- adjusting those numbers as you're trying to get things more accurate, obviously the lower the horse's odds are that you're starting with, the more it does for your line when you adjust them upwards or downwards. So if you have a three to five shot, you know, you start at, at 0.6, for example, um, you're going to, you're going to be dedicating a ton of points to that horse's uh, particular number. So there's a three to two shot, which is going to be 40 points, but you adjust that horse to nine to five and make it 1.8. You're going to see that instead of 40 points at this point, you're dealing with 35.71. Obviously that's better. So when you're trying to get a line, it's very infrequently that I'm trying to get a line up to 120. I'm much more at a place like Keeneland trying to get it down from the 130s, as you can imagine. So um, smaller fields obviously are a little easier. But, yeah, in terms of mechanics, this is a great layout. And, and, you know, it starts with going through the races, um, looking at the things that are necessary to build into the line, and then getting in there and, and putting in some numbers and trying to work out the right odds combinations. So again, I want to be this very simple. Not everyone's math inclined. When, when and and Nick, I got something sort of. I haven't really mentioned it on air. I'm going to just put us on screen. Um, I haven't mentioned this on air. Uh, this this week actually, um, I am proposing to our math department at our high school, and and this is becoming more popular throughout high schools. A sports 
statistic class, which will involve, it's not going to involve how to gamble, obviously, but it, it, it will involve odds and horse racing because obviously with, with, with the influx of legalized gambling, we got to talk about yeah. it. So it, it, sports analytics is huge out there. I'm very excited. Hopefully our, our school is going to uh, allow it to happen. We're going to cover the gambit of many sports, but I thought it, it, that'll be pretty cool. Maybe we'll have, maybe we'll, we'll have you guest lecture my class uh, remotely next year sometime. But anyway, let's go back to this because again, not everyone's mathematically inclined. So once again, if you see a four to one odds, it's very simple. Everyone, you add one to the odds and then it's a hundred divided by that. So it's a hundred divided by the odds plus one. Again, a hundred divided by the odds plus one is the percent chance in theory that the horse has to win the race. So again, if you take a four to one, uh, I feel like I'm in math class again. You take that four to one, it's a hundred divided by the quantity. That means you got to add four plus one, which is five. That's where you get your 20. And then you go the other way around. Of course, if you say a horse has a 20% chance to win, you do a hundred divided by 20 minus one. So again, when you want to go to percents, it's a plus. There's my alliteration, Nick. Percents plus the opposite is minus in terms of which way you go. So um, there's there's a little bit of you know way for people to know. Um, I always for fun, Nick, like if I'm alive to a pick five because I'm a goofball mathematical knucklehead, I'm like, oh, I should have an X percent chance to win because I got all these horses covered. And then of course the 6.2 percent chance of winning comes in <laughs> and I lose. But anyway, is there anything else people need to know? Do you think about the mathematics of it, Nick, that you see on the screen? Anything else you want to say? No, I think as far as the math goes, that makes perfect sense. That's um, that's uh, oh, that's good news for the Astros. I'm sorry. Oh, um, go ahead. You can you can give up. You can give up. Well, oh, they, they tied the game, so and they're worse okay. in the line. Got the hit, so we'll perfect. take it. But um, right. no, I think that's it as far as the math goes. I, I think it's important to, uh, you know, I, I mean, look, I, I think, and and I mean this as as charitably as possible. I think there are people out there that make comments about this that literally have no idea how to do it. No. So I mean, I, I think it 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 goes, this goes a long way towards explaining it. And, and, you know, you have to, you have to understand also that we generally do it in a, you know, pretty conventional way, only even numbers, um, obviously down to, to three, uh, I, I use five. Um, and, and we, I mean, I try not to make two horses the same price. I don't think there's any hard and fast rule on that. Yeah. I, and I mean, under six to one, I mean, I'll make multiple horses, eight to one or sure. something like that. So, sure. you know, yeah, there, there's also, there's also an element to that too. So do you, and we have a lot of questions coming on the chat, please go ahead and keep saying those questions, folks. This is a fascinating conversation. I want to also thank Paul Halloran, my co-host who thought of this idea and thought of bringing you on. I think he spoke to you about this. So thanks to one of Paul racing Halloran, who, heroes. Unfortunately, it can't be with us tonight. Do you tend to condense uh, big, big the odds? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm a big Paul fan. Oh, Paul's a great guy. Yeah, he's the greatest. Yeah. Um, do you tend to condense the odds, Nick, or spread them out? Like, so for example, you talked about if you're a little above or below, would you like take 20 to ones and make them 15 to ones and make the two to ones five to twos? Are you more likely to make those two to ones like nine to fives? And the, the 20s, like 25, you follow what I'm saying, like yeah. a further spread or do you like to condense more often, would you say? I find myself getting into scenarios where I have to move them up in odds more so more often than I have to move them down. So okay. and, and I think that generally has to do with uh, with being around the 130 number and trying to get under that and, and really down sure. towards 125. So I find myself doing a lot of, you know, 12s to 15s, 15s to 20s, things like that. It, it really all hinges on how well you capture the favorite. You know, if you get the favorite and you've got a really solid favorite at eight to five or so, then, you know, everybody else will filter in pretty nicely. And obviously the difficulty there is the field size. You know, if you're, if you're talking about a 12 horse field and you're trying to limit the number of 50 to ones you're putting out there, then, you know, Strobe won last week at I think two to five, yeah. I made him nine to five. You know, I didn't feel great about making him nine to five, but I'm not going to explain to Keeneland management why I put five fifty to ones on the, on the board, because the thing is we, you and I both know a lot of those horses are going to go off better than 50 to one. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, I can't, I can't do that. And, and that's one of the things I think that that is a little bit lost in the exercise, but yeah, to answer your question, I find myself moving them up in odds more often than moving them down. I, I heard you talking about that with Steve Beck. Quick question from uh, David Piscopo. Uh, David, thanks for joining the show. What do you do with long layoffs, Nick? 
Yeah, always a challenge. Um, I think that's where formulators, your friends, using the short stats at the bottom of the PPs, but also using formulator. Obviously, there are certain trainers that are particularly good off long layoffs. And the two guys that come to mind that, are, that we run into most on the eastern side of the country are Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown. Um, Todd Pletcher is excellent on, on both surfaces, specifically on dirt and specifically dirt long. Um, and Chad is great on the turf with, with horses off of long layoffs. So, I mean, I think from a, from a general handicapping perspective, I have always found myself a little bit prejudiced against horses off long layoffs, but from a, you know, from a morning line perspective, I mean, here's a great example was prevalence today who yeah. I made a, I made a two to one favorite. Now, obviously if Hollis and doc Amster weren't in the race when I was making the morning line, I would have yeah. probably made him more like even money and he'll finish any second now. So, you know, yeah. he was coming off a nearly six month layoff and, uh, and really put forth a pretty underwhelming performance. So he was a horse that, I sort of eschewed the issue with the long layoff and focused on the fact that class-wise, he was just a real standout. Yeah, and Chatelot was coming off a long – that would have been – if that race had held together, that would have been a real nice race. It's a shame those two horses scratch. You got a long shot – well, five to one because of the scratches, but the five horse ended up winning that race. How do I know? Because I'm a serial horizontal player, Nick, and I played the pick five. So I didn't have James Graham the last race, unfortunately, but now that's the way it goes. Step. What What did the winner of that race pay, the, the ace? Uh, he, was, uh, he went off at five to one. Oh, okay, because he was like ten or twelve to one. Yeah, he took a lot of late, shockingly yeah. took a lot of. Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> took a lot of late money. Yeah, different, different um, but you know, Ray Lou gave him a great, uh, great ride there. Yeah. All right, yeah. we we got about fifteen minutes left. Nick Tamro, Nick, I got a few other questions I want to make sure we get to, so we'll go a little bit more quickly. Uh, my next question: How do you evaluate your own performance as a morning line maker? Is it as simple as how close the morning lines are to the post time odds? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I'm going to dig in more after the meet to overall accuracy and and uh, creating, I think it's a Q, a Q score or a T score, depending on how you evaluate it. So I know there are a couple of people on social media I've seen that that do that. And I'm going to ask for their assistance with it. Um, you know, I, I think for a, on a day to day basis, I just kind of keep track of how frequently I get the favorite right. And um, and I think that there's a, you know, a little bit of, of benefit to that. But, you know, it's. I don't think it's the easiest thing to evaluate day to day or even week to week. I know that uh, last week I was not pleased with some horses on Wednesday and the last four on Sunday. I didn't think I, I had, I didn't think I was particularly accurate on those, but um, I did think that Tuesday through Saturday went well. And I think for the most part, the stakes have been good. There was a Chris block horse on opening day that, that I, uh, I, I made way too big a price. Now I will admit, have, you read, not, have you read my notes down, down here? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to him. him. We'll get to him, my friend. I'll tell you what was funny about it, Howard, was I was on a cruise. So I had I had arranged a cruise with the family, and I was barely on Twitter at all. And so I didn't get on Twitter until Friday, and I saw people making comments about it. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, four letters. Yeah, you know what? Being yeah. with the family, I, I, I'm not saying this to kiss your ass at all, but I think you're doing a great job. It's very hard. These boutique meets are especially difficult. You had horses coming from all over the country, you know, different tracks. It, it, it's it's just I've never done like a full car, let alone one or a few races of mowing lines. It's very difficult, everyone. So take it easy on Nick Tamar out there. Um, <laughs> let's see. Next question. Uh, actually, here's a question from uh, Matthew Chamura. Uh, do certain jockeys affect the way you make the morning lines? Uh, you know, I'll, I will admit, and I learned the hard way after last Wednesday that nobody moves the market like Irad Ortiz. Oh. So he, he really, um, he, I think you can, yeah, it's a great question. I think you can click all of his horses down, you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a click, maybe a little bit more. Um, and it's just because he, you know, he wins a lot and, and his horses are very well supported. I think that trainers are more influential than jockeys, but I do think that um, the public's also going to notice when, you know, a horse has been ridden by John Court three straight times and Joel Rosario gets on, or, um, you know, I think the Chris Block horse we were referencing before going to Flavian Pratt probably yeah. mattered quite a bit oh, yeah. to the wagering public. So I yeah. think it's, uh, it's something that you have to keep in mind. I mean, if Mitchell, if Mitchell Mural is coming, who, by the way, is a very solid jockey, but very, comes yeah. in to ride, knock your socks off. Um, he's not going off at six to one. I can tell you that. Yeah. That was one of my questions. We, you already touched on it. We don't need, I was just going to give you a little crap for fun. Knocks your socks off for Bill Don't Know was the block horse in the Jesmine was 30 to one morning life, went off at six to one. Everyone I talked to, Nick, the day or two before, just, you know, some smarter people that I happened to listen to, uh, like this horse is no way this horse is me 30 to one. But again, the circumstances caused that issue. Do you have any other specific regrets 
uh, in this meet so far or things you want to continue to improve on as the meet comes to an end here? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm always trying to improve. So I'm trying to, to increase the number of things I'm looking at. You know, one thing I've tried to be really steadfast with is taking my time. And, and I think I found the right, uh, the right recipe for that is that I kind of go in two, two waves now and do my initial run through as, as quickly after the draw as possible and then go back through and go race by race um, at a different time. So, for example, for Friday's card, I did all of the work on Monday and then I didn't actually go back through and make the line until last night. So it um, and I think it helped. I think it made me a little little fresher in looking at it. And, and you know, like with anything else, I mean, I, I don't. You know, a lot of us that are into racing do puzzles and stuff like that and crossword puzzles. And sometimes even with the Wordle, like I'll stop and come back and in five yeah. minutes, and it's like I see something I hadn't seen before. So I, I've tried to do that, but um, I've kept a kind of a notebook of things that I think are factors that I probably was underestimating. So, you know, a workout over the track, especially a fast workout over the track, yeah. um, certain trainers who are taking more money than others. And I'm kind of noticing some trainers who are taking less money than others. And, and there are some guys that I've been probably putting a little too low on the line. And, you know, the public bases a lot on the percentages. And if they see a five or 6% trainer, even if that horse is taking a precipitous drop in class, they're just going to ignore them. Yeah. I mean, the, there's so many aspects that go uh, into the game for sure. And people have to you know pay attention, by the way, on the right side of my screen, I got the Raven run up for Saturday, which is a nine horse field. I don't know if we're going to have time to, get into it, but I'm assuming the more line, they're not out on Equibase or the PPs, but uh, are the more lines out for Saturday or do you have the more lines already for Saturday? No, I'm going to make them tonight and I'll turn okay, them cool. in the morning. Yeah. Okay. So um, we we're not going to go through it, but the, that spreadsheet that I had, I had nine horses up there and um, at some other time, Nick, maybe we'll go through a race and actually go through how you're going to put the more lines together. We won't do that tonight. I have two other quick questions for you, Nick, and we'll let you go back to the Astros and really appreciate your no worries, uh, time no. tonight. Um, this is a bit of a delicate question. So I'm going to ask it carefully. Uh, maybe not your own personal experience, but have you heard through the grapevine, any track executives or any friends that you have to do morning lines have been sort of forced to skew the line and make them the, the odds a little bit bigger. So as to not people think that it's a very obvious race, like for example, uh, a horse really should be, four to five morning line, but someone has been told uh, to make the horse nine to five to make the race more competitive to raise handle. Because I've heard whispers of things like that happening in the past, not with you, not at Keeneland, but just in general, are you, uh, do you think track executives unfortunately get involved in that to a detriment? Yes, they get involved. Okay. Um, <laughs> And again, yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble. Part, yeah. part one of the question, yes, they get involved. Um, you know, it's a it's a fine line, right, Howard? I mean, we're we're smart guys. Yeah. Nobody wants to. Well, you are. I don't know about me, but no, you are too. But uh, <laughs> teacher teaching is one of the hardest jobs in the world. I taught journalism for a year, but um, one of the, track executives don't want people picking up a racing form that's loaded with six horse fields with three to five favorites. Absolutely right? not. But at Absolutely. the same time, you know, and, and I got. And, and I'm, I'm very solid with my job at Sam Houston, so I'll be more candid about it in, in that okay. respect. But when I made Latruska 4-5 to five in the Houston Ladies Classic last year, I sensed that my boss was kind of elbowing me to make her a bigger price. But he, but he And it really wasn't coming from him. He understood, you know, and he totally believed in what I was saying. And he called me and he said, 4-5? to five? And I said, she really should be about 2-5. to five. And he said, no problem. And so, I, you know, I think that there was, and it's not always so much that, they want the public to think it's a more competitive race. I think part of the problem too, is that they don't want horsemen that are in there to think they have no chance. And, oh, and so that's kind of the other angle because the problem that the public then gets is that now there's one or two fewer horses. Oh, so I never, you know, I never really thought about that angle. That's interesting. Credit to David Aragona, who I think in the Woodward made life as good one to nine, I believe, which is the lowest mooring line. Is that, I think that I'm accurate about that, right? Go, yeah. It's the lowest mooring yeah. line I've ever seen. It's the lowest you can go. But I, I know this might sound stupid, but I know you understand this, Nick. It's not easy to make that horse one to nine. No, it's not because you got to figure out what price to make everybody else, right? Yeah. And, and it, it gets David, back to our spreadsheet, of course, right? Figuring out right. the odds. 
Right. David would have probably preferred knowing that Thomas Shelby was going to be scratched ahead of time so that he could, you know, have yeah. a little bit more in, in his line. But um, yeah, I mean, it, and, and look, the people that entered the Woodward knew they were overmatched anyway. So it wasn't, yeah. they weren't going to find out via the morning line, but um, yeah, th that does go on. And, um, and, but I will also tell you that has not happened to me at Keeneland whatsoever. So no, I'm no, sure and we had, no, Jim, we've had Jim, Jim Goodman on the show. I know a bunch of people at Keeneland there. I first class all the way. Just for yeah. the record, wasn't suggesting that, as you know, by any. No, no, I know for sure. But, yeah, absolutely. We, we, uh, I know David Aragon does not want Uriah St. Louis knocking on his door. Why is my horse sixty to one in the, in the morning? Well, Uriah would probably, probably say that it's sixty to one. He's a short price. Yeah, Uriah doesn't mind that at all. He'll just go off and win by more lengths. That's my right. last question or topic, Nick, is about the Breeders' Cup, if we may. I mean, I'd be yeah. remiss not to ask you. First of all. Good luck, sir, on, because that is going to be one hell of a of a job to create the morning lines. I have two main questions, and again, people in the chat, if you have questions, feel free to ask Nick, and Nick will will, will get you off. I don't want to take too long, but yeah, no we got to talk about it. Um, flight line. Uh, Jim Miller had him six to five. We don't know the field, although it looks like to be a bit of a smaller field. It looks like mm -hmm. you know about eight, but you know the top five are really good. Like Olympiad might be your fifth morning line choice it looks like right now yeah just any guess as to what you're going to be making flight line um in the classic if you had to tell the management right now what it would be so i you know in the anticipation of us talking about this i kind of did it uh before we started with an eye on who it looks like the the horses running in it are right now and uh i have flight line at three to five so breaking news everyone we yeah. just broke the internet <laughs> the views are, the views are exploding right now there it is, everyone. Flight line. No, it's not official. It's not official, everyone. Uh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry, three or five. Yes, yeah, so, no. So I, I mean, I don't. I don't see how I can make him much more than that um, without it being. I mean, I, I'll tell you the truth, Howard. I think he's going to open one to nine. Um, really close to it. I do. I think the public is just going to be overwhelmingly wow. on him. Um, maybe even one to five. But I've got him wow. at three to five. I have epicenter at five to one. Uh, Life is good at six to one. Taba at eight to one an Olympiad at 10 to one. And that leaves rich strike. If he goes at 15 and I've got 30 a piece on happy saver and hot rod, Charlie, I'd like to make hot rod, Charlie 20 rather than 30 rich strike is a horse that despite being a little overmatched on paper, he is going to take money. He did win the Kentucky Derby and I don't want to make him an overly big price. The problem that I have from a handicapping perspective. And now that we're talking about it a week and a half or so in advance is I, I have a hard time figuring out how the public is going to handle life is good because on paper, he has no chance to me. Right. I, ju I just don't see how wow. anybody okay. could bet. Uh, and, and I only say that, and this is with all due respect to Life is Good, who I think is terrific. But you really think if Flightline gets beaten, he's going to get wired? I can't envision that scenario. I mean, I to me, if Flightline gets beaten, it is so it barring a situation where we're dealing with a post position extreme like Flightline draws the one Life is Good draws the two. And suddenly Flightline is the hunted and Life is Good is the hunter. Then, you know, it. Other than that scenario, it looks to me pretty clearly on paper like life is good is going to go and he is going to try and do his thing, which is to go as quick as he can and make Flightline chase him. And if that happens, to me, the only way Flightline loses is if somebody comes and runs by them. I don't see life yeah. is good burying him on the front end. So, you know, and that's that's why I see I think Epicenter is going to become a very sexy horse in this race. He's got, he got 112 buyer last time out for the most part, everybody in the field validated it in their next start. And he's going to come in uh, for a, a barn that very likely could be winning its second or third breeders cup race with him. Obviously having Jackie's warrior is a pretty solid favorite and a slew of others that are contenders. And I think the same thing is going to be true of Taba. I think there's going to be a lot of conversation about, you know, Baffert revenge and here's a progressive type of horse that's really run two really solid races now as a late season three-year-old. Olympiad is probably the horse that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I mean, I can't make him less than the fifth choice. No. And, and just for everyone, just to, to going back to our exercise, uh, if Nick puts it three to five, everyone, again, you take uh, – a three to five, which is 0.6. You add one, that's 1.6. You do a hundred divided by the 1.6 and you get 62.5%. So by that logic, all you listening and watching, that would mean if a horse is, if five lines, three to five, in theory, he, he would have a 62.5% chance to win. And Nick, just saying that out loud, uh, I, 
I think most people believe he's got a much better chance than that. So it's going to be fascinating to see what he's going to be. Um, and also, uh, you are, uh, I believe I'm going to be sitting next to you for the, during the BCBC, I believe. Uh, is that right? Is that right, Nick? Also? Yes, that's the plan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm, man, I'm really excited, my friend. You that's can make fun of my morning lines right to my face. <laughs> well, well, that'll be great. I can't wait for that. Um, no, listen, I'm sure you'll find many ways to make fun of me because I'm easy. No, to make fun no, of. no, not at all. But uh, Nick, just, you know, publicly, I'm really excited about having you at our wonderful table with some other uh, very, uh, well-known people i'll just put it that way in, in the yeah. uh, handicapping world so uh my last question nick euros um applebee just came out nick luck by the way has been doing a great job on twitter setting who the you know applebee horses are coming over it's becoming more solidified as to the, who's coming over and who's not I, i'm assuming you have to do the same thing that we all do which is watch a lot of tape figure out what you're going to do because with the influx of euros uh that makes the morning line more difficult yeah, exactly. I'm going to do uh, pretty much race by race. I'm going to make, you know, individual kind of profile pages for each Euro and watch replays and take notes. And I think Applebee is probably the new O'Brien in terms of, of who's yeah. going to get serious money just simply because of the name. I think when you win three Breeders' Cup races like he did last year and, and win virtually every other race you enter a horse in in North America, you certainly earn that moniker. And, uh, and, and with what he did with Nation's Pride this year, obviously, will go a long way towards uh, contributing as well. I was interested to see Nation's Pride is running in the, in the Breeders' Cup turf after all when he was originally not mentioned as a probable. So, yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a little tougher with some of the obscure ones. Um, you know, some of the third, fourth tier yeah. horses that are going to be in the in the mile and the, the juvenile turf sprint, I know, will be difficult because the Platinum Queen obviously comes in off a, a huge win in the Prix de la yeah. Bay at Longchamp. Oh, like, a creative, like a creative force in the in the sprint, you know. Right, right. And, and Highfield Princess obviously being in there is going to get a lot of support. And then you wonder how these horses are going to compete against Golden Pal on his turf. So, you know, if they're basing it on on Golden Pal's run at Ascot, I don't think that's a fair representation of who he is either. So it's going to be a challenge. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to be disappointed if I end up a little bit off on a couple of them. It, there's going to be there's going to be some that go off shorter than I anticipate. That's yeah. life. Nick, I personally won't care about that because, <laughs> listen, we're, we're going to be deep diving into the BCBC. I am. Last thing I'll say, I'm very fascinated to see what you're going to do with like Rebels Romance versus a Warlike Goddess, because. These are not the best Euros that are coming over. I mean, it, people can say they're Euros, they're going to be better than ours. I mean, yes, but you got horses coming off of three weeks from, from you know, British Champions Day, uh, which some people might view as a negative. These are not the top Euros at all. I mean, so it's going to be the, the turf distance races to me, I, I, juveniles and, well, the juveniles, I think the Euros are going to be pretty tough to beat, in my opinion. But some of the older races, like you said, the mile, I mean, modern games, I think people have tempered a bit on him because of his loss. I'm not sure I have, but uh, I'm curious to see what you do. It, it, everyone's going to say, well, why doesn't Nick just put the, the top three euros, just one, two, three in the betting market? Uh, that, that's being a bit short-sighted, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I want to stay away from the whole idea of, well, we'll, we'll just, just make the euros the favorites. You know, the euros yeah. are just going to dominate. And I do think, obviously, they'll hold a very strong hand in all of the distance turf races, as, as is normally the case. But you know, I don't I don't know necessarily if we're going to get swept. Um, I guess we did last year in the Philly and Mare turf, turf and mile um, and juvenile turf. So, it's yeah, I mean, it can get a little rough at times. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, and, and but it, again, a race like the turf is going to be difficult because we're like goddess is not only very good. She's also very popular. She's a horse yes. that's gotten met very, very heavily. Now, granted, some of those were against her own gender, where she is kind of a little bit more of a standout. But, I mean, last time against males in the Joe Hirsch, I, I know those horses are not – I'm on record just not being totally high on a lot of those horses. But, I mean, she got pounded at the windows. There was never a moment where was she was shocked, anything but a huge favorite. I was – I was too. I was surprised by just how much money she took. I thought she'd win. But I really thought she'd win in like the seven, eight to five kind of range. And she quickly got under even money. So I was a little surprised by that. She's getting that kind of like tapping kind of love. Just that kind of fan base is starting to gravitate to her. It's uh, I guess, you know, she's a the Zenyatta. She's a female. She's a closer, blah, blah, blah. She's a wonderful horse and I have nothing against her. Although I, I will not be betting her in the BCBC. I can tell you that right now, unless she's 15 to one post time or something. So, well, um, and the funny thing about her too is that <laughs> I don't. I agree. I don't underestimate that her popularity likely increased based on the trouble in the flower bowl. 
because everybody was talking about her. And, and you know, yeah. everybody, everybody wants to be clever and bet back a trip horse. Right. Well, you say trouble, I say jockey riding, but that's a whole yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've extolled the virtues of Joel Rosario enough to to comment when he makes. Yes, a you have. Uh, it was a bad ride. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it was. It, he even he would say it. Uh, Nick, we really appreciate you coming on the show. I think people have learned a lot about morning lines. I think it's a fascinating topic. I hope everyone at home has has learned a lot from Nick Tamro and has a better understanding now of the odds and the math behind it. Uh, my friend, good luck with the rest of the meet at Keeneland. I look forward to seeing you at Keelan. I know that BCBC, we're going to have a fun time no matter what happens uh, financially. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight. Good luck to the Astros. And we'll see you in uh, a few weeks, sir. Thanks so much, my friend. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, everyone. For, this has been Howard Kravitz, Nick Tamaro, episode 194 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Tune in tomorrow night. We're going 9.30 Eastern, a little bit later. I've got parent-teacher conferences, Nick. I can't do my regular showtime. 9.30 Eastern with the wonderful Jessica Paquette. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.